Welcome to Kitchen Table Progressive. Paul Richardson here, uh, inviting you to join us around the table for an hour of casual conversation on law, civics, and politics, driving the current issues, where the menu is progressive and the table menus are unapologetically liberal. Uh, on the program this week, uh, a few things, to, you know, sort of minor things. I, don't, well, I won't call them minor, but um, on the calendar, so to speak. Uh, Today is the start of Advent, um, the official beginning of the Christmas season. I, I know the commercial beginning of the Christmas season is, you know, the, uh, what, three weeks before Thanksgiving now? No, it used to be the day after Thanksgiving, you know, but, what, Black Friday. But the official beginning of the Christmas season on the Christian calendar, that is, is Advent, and that's starting today uh, and running 22 days, actually, through uh, Christmas Eve, and then, of course, Christmas Day is on the 25th. So three weeks from today will be the end of Advent. Uh, not clear exactly when Advent was adopted by the church, but it may have been as early as about 475 or 476, right around the, the fall of the Western Roman Empire, uh, which is actually kind of a misnomer. The Western Roman Empire didn't really fall. That what that really means when it, if they say it fell in 476. That was the the last Roman emperor was in 476, uh, and then other emperors were actually not Romans; they were uh, barbarians, as they called them. And so, uh, obviously, not the end of the Roman Empire because uh, it was actually Christmas Day in the year 800 that the uh, Pope uh, coronated Charlemagne, who was a, a Gaul, which is French, as the Emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. So, uh, beginning of the Christmas season, uh, at least with with respect to the church, begins today. Uh, I we got we got on a little bit. Uh, I just kind of rushed in here, and I don't know if it's Paul or Devin uh, uh, with me on the board today. Um, but I just want to say we'll do uh, three segments today. Um, so we'll have just two breaks. Breaks at the at the one third and at the two third. Um, Please do our uh, our PSAs. Uh, so, thank you, thank you. Okay, uh, yeah, <laughs> so a little bit rush. It was kind of like fifteen seconds uh, before we went on. Is that when I got you know, connected up? Okay. Four hundred seventy-six. In the in the news um, dates this this time this week, there were two, I would say, important uh, figures in American politics who who died this week. Henry Kissinger, um, who was the uh, Secretary of State and National Security Advisor for Richard Nixon, died at the age of 100. Uh, He was born in 1923. Henry Kissinger Kissinger was a a controversial person. he was a, a, a Jewish immigrant. Uh, he, he and his family uh, escaped the um, the Nazi concentration camps. He, he got out before things got worse. They, his family got out of Germany in 1938, so he was about 15. And that's when the camps were beginning. Uh, so they got out of there. He came to the United States. Uh, he, was in, he was in intelligence with the um, United States military uh, starting when he was about 20, so at age in 1943, and then he went on to uh, Harvard University, and uh, you know he was 
made, studied uh, diplomacy, politics, political science, political science, and so on. But why is he controversial? Well, he was a very smart man. There's no question about that. Henry Kissinger was a very smart man. But in terms of American foreign policy under the Nixon administration, uh, well, first of all, with respect to the Vietnam War, he did win a Nobel Peace Prize in 1973 for bringing a ceasefire to the Vietnam War. And in 73, that was essentially the beginning of the end. That's how we, we actually did lose the war. But that was when the ceasefire uh, kind of was, was negotiated. But many criticize uh, him for and saying that the, the war could have been over four years before that. It could have been over in 1969. And that was when the Nixon administration expanded the war into uh, Cambodia and Laos, who, which are neighbors of Vietnam. And because we were getting, the United States, we were getting beaten badly in 1969. The Tet Offensive, which began in the end of January of 1969, uh, and they call it the Tet Offensive because the Tet having to do with the moon, the full moon, the first full moon of the year. Uh, and so it's called, that's, that's the Vietnamese term, the Tet Offensive. Was, it was their offensive against us. It wasn't our offensive. I always thought when I was a kid, our Tet Offensive is really working. But no, their Tet Offensive was really working. And we were really, we were getting really creamed. I mean, we were losing two, three hundred soldiers a week. Um, the Nixon administration decided that they wanted to, they, they thought they could stop the, uh, Advance of communism into into Cambodia and Laos, but they failed because when we got out in '75, the Khmer Rouge took over in Cambodia. They were a murderous uh, dictatorship, uh, just uh, genocidal. Uh, but I won't go through the whole history. And the other the other thing about Henry Kissinger, the, the good things he did was negotiating the uh, Strategic Arms Limitation Treaty with Russia, Salt One in 1969, and Salt Two in 1972. This has huge implications for Ukraine today. People ask, why should we pay for Ukraine? Well, when we talk about strategic arms limitations, remember, we are the ones, after the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991, the so-called fall of the Union, the Union broke up. Russia was the same, but when Ukraine separated from the Soviet Union as not part of the Union anymore, they still had 3,000 nuclear warheads. And uh, when, we, when we convinced them to give up their nuclear warheads, and they were. They were, they were taken apart. And they were actually dismantled in Russia. But when we, when we convince somebody to do that, a nation to do that, and then we don't come to their aid when an aggressor, a nuclear-armed aggressor such as Russia comes after them, we really have some responsibility there. That's one of the things, because no one's ever going to disarm. They're not going to disarm with their nukes if we are not reliable, and that's one of the worst things about uh, um, Trump pulling out of the Iran nuclear agreement, which is not a treaty, it was an agreement, is that Iran says, what, why should we trust you? Why should we, whoever it is, Trump, anybody, we won't trust the United States, they'll just pull out. And so they're not going to be serious about uh, you know, cutting down a nuclear pro proliferation. So the other thing that Kendrick Kissinger did was, uh, he was his policies, probably because he was Jewish, uh, he was a very strong ties America to Israel, but also isolating the Palestinians, and this has really been a disaster uh, all along and continues to be. Also, the Kissinger um, foreign policy, which pretty much remains or has been up through the Reagan administration at least, 
is our support of authoritarian dictators in the Middle East who will carry out our policies. And that has not worked either. That, is, that has had a backlash effect in Iran when we supported the Shah. Uh, we, supported, we did support Saddam Hussein. He was a buddy of ours, too. Uh, and that didn't work out. So those were the uh, policies of Henry Kissinger. <laughs> I'll tell you a, a quick anecdote about Henry Kissinger. I love this one. Uh, so uh, Henry Kissinger, you know, a staffer, uh, brought a report uh, to, to Secretary Kissinger when he was Secretary of State. Said, uh, "Mr. Secretary, here's the here's the report you requested." And Kissinger said, "Oh, thank you, thank you very much. Okay, thank you." And the next day, he came back to the staffer and said, "Is this the best you can do?" And the, and the staffer took the report, kind of, you know, hurriedly took it. Okay, so he took it back, and, and then the next day returned it to Sec- Secretary Kissinger and said, Mr. Secretary, here, here are the revisions you, you wanted. And uh, Kissinger took it, came back another the second, the day after that and said, is this the best you can do? And the staffer snatched it away from him and <laughs> took it. And uh, on the third day it happened again, and uh, Kissinger came in and said, Again, is this the best you can do? And the staffer said, yes, damn it, it's the best I can do. And Kissinger said, oh, very good. Now I will read it this time. <laughs> so that was Henry Kissinger. Uh, moving on. Sandra Day O'Connor died on Friday at the age of 93. She was the first woman on the Supreme Court. And uh, here's an interesting story about her. Um, the... Another justice who sat on the court, William Rehnquist, who became, uh, Sandra Day O'Connor was appointed in October of 1981. Uh, she was, was Ronald Reagan's first appointee to the court and uh, the first woman on the court, which was a big deal. Uh, she was uh, considered to be a conservative, although the right wing doesn't consider her to be a conservative anymore. Uh, they consider her to be kind of a, a squishy moderate, uh, but... She was on the court with William Rehnquist, who became the chief justice in 1986. Now, I just, I just recently heard about this, but they both are from Arizona, both Rehnquist and uh, O'Connor, and they both went to Stanford Law School. Uh, I think he was ahead of her, but they were, they were, he might have been an upperclassman. He once, William Rehnquist once asked Sandra Day O'Connor to marry him, and she turned him down. Gosh, I wonder why. Um, but it turns out that later uh, that William Rehnquist recommended Sandra Day O'Connor to President Reagan to be on the Supreme Court. Ah, that's that's getting your old love back, right? Is going with that. Okay, so there's the, there's that little anecdote. How much of it is really true? Who really knows? But anyway, she was dead. Uh, Sandra Day O'Connor, probably her most notable. Case had to be uh, Casey versus Planned Parenthood of Southeast Pennsylvania, in which she, along with David Souter and Anthony Kennedy, wrote the majority opinion. She was the lead writer, but let me tell you, let, let me just quote what she said. Probably the most the, uh, the, the most notable words of the opinion that she wrote were these. She wrote, "A generation." of women has grown up with the expectation of choice. But a juris, there is no liberty in a jurisprudence of doubt. And she upheld Roe versus Wade. So now three generations of women have grown up with an expectation of choice and it has been taken from them. And there is unquestionably, unquestionably 
a jurisprudence of doubt in this country. Sandra Day O'Connor, dead at the age of 93. She was a, I think she was a pretty good justice. I mean, I think she was very fair and, and, and made her rulings, not that I agree with them all, but made her rulings. She, she actually got, uh, w- with fairness in mind, she got into a lot of arguments with Anthony, uh, with uh, Antonin Scalia about wording, about, it was just like really hair-splitting arguments about wording of things, so. William Arizona, and Well, George Santos was booted from the House this week, right? George Santos, uh, the congressman from New York, who's the biggest liar uh, in the world, right? Isn't he the biggest liar, fraud? Uh, I don't know. He's, he's trying to compete with Donald Trump, but he was voted out um, by, the, by, by the House. But guess who didn't vote? Guess who who didn't vote to get rid of a liar and a fraud. That's right. The new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, voted no. Don't get rid of him because that, what, what that will do is it will only cut my majority to three votes. So the Republicans, they're now down to a three-vote majority in the House. Uh, isn't that great? That's, I think that's, they, they may well uh, tinkle away their entire majority. They may just by being incompetent uh, by the time... That uh, that the uh, the new uh, by, by the election, uh, they may take away their majority, uh, or certainly by next January 2024 when the new Congress will be seated. The Biden economy. Um, <clears throat> the Biden economy. We talk about the Joe Biden economy. Remember, we were supposed to be a uh, hundred, nearly a hundred percent sure that there was going to be. Um, a, a recession this year, right? Oh, the inflation, it's just the worst thing. Oh, and this, this economy, that's the worst thing, even though, what, unemployment has been at record lows, low, the lowest unemployment in almost 60 years, over 50 years, 55 years, lowest unemployment, wages are up, but inflation is the problem, apparently, that this is, this is the problem with, Biden, with the Biden economy. It's everything's too damn expensive, and what are they going to do? You know, this is this is Biden. Other than his being too old, right? That Joe Biden is too old. Uh, inflation is the thing that's going to kill him. Except, <laughs> wait a minute. Um, the third quarter growth uh, statistics have come out. They came out a couple of weeks ago at four point nine percent. I mean, just staggering 4.9 percent and everybody said oh they're going to be revised (laughs) yeah they were revised all right upward (laughs) they were revised upward to 5.2 percent so um wait a minute we got a problem with this poor biden economy with record low employment unemployment Wages are up, but you see, here's the problem with it being inflation. If it was inflation, how did we get 5.2% growth? You see, somebody's been covering up something that isn't right because the numbers don't lie. Um, Yeah, that's one quarter. Yeah, sure enough, it's one quarter, but the numbers don't lie. What inflate? What let's let's first review. What is inflation? What's inflation? Inflation, market inflation, is 
too many dollars chasing too few goods. In other words, price is directly proportionate to demand. The more demand, the higher the price. Everybody knows that, right? We know supply and demand, but just think about it. If demand is high, price is high. If supplies are low, well, what if there's not very many of something, well, obviously the price is going to be high, right? Well, we've had high demand because we have high, we have record unemployment, uh, low, record low unemployment, and wages are up. And we were supposed to think that, well, it's just our supply chain. If that would be real inflation, that would be what would be called market inflation. We have lots, people have money, but prices are high because there aren't very many goods. Well, that wouldn't be good for, you know, that's not good for the consumer is that, yeah, I have money, but there's not, I can't buy anything. There's, not a, there's nothing to buy. So that's why prices are up, and especially when it comes to fuel, gasoline, because everything is, has to be transported. And if the, if the cost of a, of a fundamental commodity, such as energy, is, is high, then, uh, then everything's going to be high because everything has to be transported. Food has to be transported. Basic things like food, all goods, are affected by the price of energy. But here's the thing. If and so inflation is not good for sellers either because they if they don't have enough product to take to market well then they can't there might be a lot of money to call for it that they could sell things but they'll be out of stock I, I, if I'm out of stock I you hate it okay you're 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 in business and people come in and say I want this say, I'm sorry I don't have it I can't I can't take your money because I don't have it apparently that's not what happened because how would you get 5.2% growth if people weren't making money, right? Because how do, we, how do we calculate this growth? Because businesses have to pay their taxes quarterly. So we say, oh, a lot of revenue coming in, right? This isn't a choked economy. They, I mean, and interest rates have come down, but the, all along, they've been saying, oh, they bought it. And, and they, yet, yet you hear like CNBC News saying, uh, the, the Fed is considering raising interest rates to cool down the economy, right? To cool down the economy. Well, apparently the economy didn't need cooling. The economy uh, has, been, has been just going gangbusters. And the infl- what we thought was inflation is price gouging. They have just been, the, 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 comp- the corporations, as usual, have just been gouging people because they know they have money. And they've been testing everybody to see, well, just how much will the market bear, right? Because the government doesn't set prices. The government doesn't set the price of anything where you go. They, the companies can mark things up. And if people will buy them, well, the shelves will still be also be empty, right? It, it won't be as though it, it will not be as though um, it'll seem like inflation. But did did the Federal Federal Reserve did Jerome Powell really check to see is this real market inflation? Do we really have too much too many dollars chasing too few goods? Well, it appears that maybe that's not really the case. I'm making the case. For the fact that we have been getting gouged by the by the big by the big corporations, and I'll explain more about that when we come back on WCPT Chicago's Progressive Talk. We'll be right back. 
Japan, back with you here on Kitchen Table Progressive. Paul Richardson with you here on uh, AM 820 WCPT, Chicago's Progressive Talk. Uh, by the way, if you want to get a, a phone call in and, and talk about uh, one of the things, uh, topics I've mentioned in the first segment, or, or anything, I got anything on your mind, uh, the number here is 773-763-9278. 773-763-WCPT. Those are the call letters of the station, right? So it's, the WCPT is the 9278. So 773-763-9278. And um, you know who's listening tonight, by the way? I'm, I'm extremely nervous. I, uh, uh, I, this is why I'm a little choked up here. My throat's a little tight because... My mom is listening to the program tonight. My mom has never heard me on the radio before. And I, I'm, uh, I, I said, Mom, here, here's how you do it. You just, you know, get onto the web. It's, so she's streaming. So I'm on the air in Chicago, Illinois. And she's listening in, in Livingston County, Michigan. Uh, one of the reddest places, <laughs> one of the reddest, uh, most awful places in Michigan. Uh, but, Mom, thanks for listening. Um, so, uh, I'll, I gotta keep it clean. I really, really, of course I always do. I don't, I don't, I've never, I've never messed up on the air. Have I? I don't think I ever have. Okay. So about inflation, again, seven, seven, three, seven, six, three, nine, two, seven, eight. Want to get, get in on the phones. <clears throat> I was saying that we've been talked that we've been, we've been hearing that, uh, it's the Biden economy is all inflation but we we've never heard about what what is inflation. It's it's too many dollars, and too much demand. And d- demand just means how many dollars there are. It's not uh, whether people have dollars, they'll they'll buy one thing or another. We don't talk about you know demand for what. I mean, pizza or or marbles or whatever. It's well, people have money. The people who want those things will buy them. So um, <laughs> um, so the. Uh, the demand is money, and the supply is are the goods there. Like I said, price is directly related to the demand, inversely related to the supply. So we've been told that we have inf- inflation, and therefore, because we know that there's a good uh, low unemployment, uh, and people are making good wages, that it must be a lack of supply. And this makes sense because, uh, you know, we've had a worldwide pandemic. Uh, over the, the, the last 40 years, um, you know, Reaganomics outsourced all of our American jobs. 60,000 factories and production facilities moved overseas. But is that really what's going on here? Because when we have uh, economic growth of 5.2%, revised to 5.2%, how could that be? That means that companies are making money. The sellers are making money, right? They must be. <laughs> and if, but if they didn't have any goods, they would be out of supply and they'd be sold out. Yeah, sure, the prices would be high, but that's, they're sold out. What can they do? They, can't, they don't have anywhere to go with it. But they're making money. By the way, I'm going to compare it to the, the Trump economy. The Donald Trump economy, which is a big myth, never... Here's what it did. It essentially tracked the same as the Obama, second-term Obama. It did. It tracked about the same growth each year, about the uh, mid 
two, you know, mid twos, 2.5, 2.6, 2.7, 2.8. They had quarters like that. Um, Trump did. He didn't, he, I think he was so angry that he didn't, wasn't doing any better than Obama's second term that he was trying to stimulate the economy by, um, you know, the tax cut, the 20, uh, 17 to 2018 tax cut designed into, uh, in, I think at Christmas of 2017, cause he wanted it to take place in 2018. Okay. If he signed it into the law in 2018, it wouldn't take place to 2019. And so he wanted that. And then of course there was the tariffs there, or there were the tariffs I should, I should say, but Trump never had this, this, this is an interesting, uh, um, piece of, of trivia about the Trump economy. The highest quarter that Trump ever had was first, it was the second quarter of 2019. And it came in at initially at 4.1% growth. 4.1. Okay, that's strong. That's good. Um, but And that was the quarter that he put he put uh, the tariffs on. Remember the, the tariffs? We're going to start charging China for their... Okay, that's a strategy. But then that, and they, I remember the reports, but this is the strongest growth for, now listen carefully. This is the strongest growth, 4.1%, since the second quarter of 2015, when we had 4.2% growth. So he still did not eclipse Obama's 4.2%. And as they said, it was the strongest growth in four years, 4.1%. But then as they are, the 4.1% was revised downward to 3.1%. So he never really did get uh, 4.1%. He got 3 point. That was his highest. Trump's, Trump's economy, the high, well, high watermark was 3.1%. And then in the third quarter of 2019 was 1.9% because of the tariffs. We, we weren't getting his goods. And then in the fourth quarter of 2019 was only 2.1%. And then in the first quarter of 2020, remember COVID hit and the con and the uh, economy contracted by 31% by the, by the end of 2020, the, con the economy had contracted. So the Trump economy was a big myth. The only, the only goodness about it was uh, the rich people took their taxes, their tax cuts and put it in the stock market. So the stock market was speculated way over speculated and that's where the inflation was at the time that's where the too much money was because there weren't any goods to buy because we were in the middle of a pandemic so the 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 wealthy put their money in the market that's speculation and that that's why it went up by the way it hit 30,000 remember the magic it's a, it's a it's a holy number 30,000 by the way that was on when we hit thirty, the market hit thirty thousand. The holy number was uh, on November twenty fourth, twenty twenty, three weeks after Donald Trump lost the election. <laughs> so the market was responding to Donald Trump being gone. Yeah, uh, it hit thirty thousand. So that that was. Um, but let's talk about the idea that um, the how have the how have the how has the inflation been just really being gouging and. We're being tested about what you know. What are what? What will the market bear? This is an interesting thing. I, I started to talk about this a couple of weeks ago, but 
in Washington State, there's a, you know, Jay Inslee is a three-term governor who is not running again. There are no term limits. Uh, and there are, I don't know, every Republican and his cousin and his or her cousin is 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 running for uh, to, to uh, replace Jay Inslee. But here's one of the stunts that one of them played. They keep talking about how the high gas prices uh, in Washington State, which are over $4 a gallon, and they're $7 a gallon in places in California. And this is supposed to be the fault of Jay Inslee and Gavin Newsom. <laughs> Not so much. Because why? Oh, because of the taxes. Oh, Jay Inslee and his uh, carbon taxes and Gavin Newsom and all the same thing. And all the taxes you have to pay on gasoline. And that's why gasoline is over $4 an hour, a gallon in, $4 a gallon in Washington State. And so what one of the Republican candidates did was they had a special at a gas station in uh, South, South King County or South Seattle. And this was only for uh, like four hours. It was from 6 a.m., one day, 6, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m., where they were trying to show you this is what gas prices really would be without Jay Inslee's taxes. They, they, just, t- they just took all the taxes off. And it was like, I don't know, two, what, 285 or something a gallon. I, I, don't, I don't know how much it was. But the, the line was just, you know, down, down the street and around the block. Because why? They took the taxes off. They artificially lowered the price of gasoline. Now, they had to pay those taxes. So somebody, some donor, or one of these candidates who's running for president, I, don't, I didn't hear who was sponsoring this, but who was trying to make this point. Uh, they, did, they paid the taxes on the gas. They paid for the customer. But they were saying, um, this is what the, the price of gasoline really would be. Wrong. No. What would the price of gasoline be if it's $4 a gallon or whatever it is in your neighborhood, $7 a gallon in California? What would it be if they took off all the taxes? Would it be low like that, $2.85 a gallon? Wrong. No. Why? Because the market, set, the, the market sets the price. The, the, market is what the, mar- the price is what the market will bear. It doesn't matter that a, a, a share of that goes to the, to, in taxes because, like I said, remember when they lowered the price – took the taxes off, the demand went round the block, right? What happens to the price when the demand goes up? The price goes up. So they'd either be sold out, they created some, they, they'd either be sold out, or what would happen? The price would go back up to $4 a gallon, right? How could it not? They, it, they're not going to continue to sell it at, at, uh, at a price that the market will pay more for. And here's the other thing. Just because the state take, the state and the federal government take a share of that part per gallon, you don't know how much it is. You, you don't know. That doesn't make how much it is to you doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if 100 people, 100 shareholders are in on that gallon of gas. It's what the market will bear. But what happens when you have taxes on gasoline is you actually get a share of it for your roads, right? We, the people, actually get to take part of it for the roads, which means that if, if the oil companies or the fossil fuel companies are going to make a profit, they are actually going to lower their share, right? Because what, 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 if, they, what if they wanted to get three fifty a gallon out of it, but there was, you know, buck seventy five in taxes on it, but they had to get three fifty a gallon? Well, that would make, you know, that would make uh, the price of gasoline five twenty five, and and then people would stop, the, the market would say, no, we're not going to pay that much, we'll buy less. 
And then what happens to their margin? They start losing money, you see? So what would the price of gasoline, if it's $7 an hour in in California, or $7, I keep saying that, $7 a gallon in California in that in some areas, what would the price be if they took off the taxes? It would work its way back up to $7 a gallon because that's what the market will bear. And But, that, but it, it only, the only thing is, the fossil fuel companies would be taking all the profit. You wouldn't be getting any of that money for your roads and the things that your taxes pay for, the gasoline taxes pay for. See, that's a myth. They keep talking about how they love the free market and the market should set the price. Well, that's what the market does. The market says the people have the money to pay that. If, if they keep raising it, no, there's going to be a, come a time when people say, I don't have that much money. I can't pay that much. And that's what would happen if... Like I said, if they, ta- if they take off all the taxes and the line's around the block, it's going to continue to be around the block until what? Until they're out of gasoline. And yet th- there's a high demand, and there's, if they're still, the, the fossil fuel companies still only get it, getting the margin that they had uh, on, on what it is when it's $4 a gallon, then that's, they're not going to do that. They're going to have to raise the price because demand, demand demands that the price be raised. Otherwise, the supply will be low. Their supply will be so low that the price will have to go up. It's just that simple. So what the price would be, and that's what's been happening with all of our prices, is the companies have been testing where, not for competition, they're just testing to see how much money are you willing to spend. And if, if there are people with have jobs, and they have money, and they want stuff, uh, that's what they're going to do. And we just heard, oh, Black Friday is going to be a disaster, right? It's going to be terrible. I think the uh, numbers show that it was one of the strongest shopping days in, in recent history. Oh, and by the way, also, at Thanksgiving, uh, the, the numbers came out and said it was like one of the fourth, the fourth le- uh, least expensive Thanksgivings in the last 30 years because people have, people have money to pay for it. I mean, I saw turkeys at $0.59 cents a pound. That's the one I bought, and it still tasted like turkey. I did not pay $1.39 a pound for turkey. And I think $0.59 cents a pound was great because I can remember uh, when I first moved to Seattle in 1991, I bought a turkey. Uh, it was a Jenny O turkey. It was $0.33 cents a pound. So in 32 years, for the price to go from $0.33 cents to $0.29, cents, that's only $0.26 cents a pound. That's, that's nothing. That's nothing. So, yeah, uh, there are, people have money, and it still is. It still is a very good and healthy economy that I think they're trying to make that a knock on Joe Biden, and it's not going to work. Is there an inflation in the future, or is there a, a recession in the future? Will see about that in 2024 and we'll be right back uh on kitchen table progressive here on wcpt am820 chicago's progressive talk We are back on uh, Kitchen Table Progressive here on AMA 20 
WCPT Chicago's Progressive Talk, uh, 773-763-9278. And I see we do have a couple callers. So as this is the last segment, let's get right to the callers. And I think uh, Jim is first. Jim? Hi, Paul. Happy holidays to your mother from Chicago. <laughs> well, thank and, you very much. And I was going to say that, you know, Henry Kissinger, in his 70s, I'm in a bar uh, and a couple of priests come in, and we split a pitcher of beer, and, and Henry came on the TV. And one of the priests turned to me and said, I wonder who's Kissinger now. <laughs> I remember that clearly. But I was going to yeah. say the... Uh, the Republican debates are interesting because I guess the Heritage Foundation is throwing their money behind Nikki Haley. In, in Ramaswamy, if, if I, I, when I when I can make out anything that he that he you know if I can figure out what he's saying, he's saying Democratic donors and Democratic are running the country, and that's why he thinks that he could destroy that uh, evil gang of people. But I was just wondering if they bring that up in the debate to Nikki. Why? That's the chagrin of, uh, you know, of DeSantos and, uh, and Trump. I wonder if they'll come out in the debate. I doubt it. Well, you know what? Here's the thing. This is the position that the the Republicans are in. Um, first of all, you, men- you mentioned uh, Ramu, Ramaswamy, as I call him, Ramaswamy. First of all, nobody likes him. Nobody. Nope. He's no, just. No, no. I mean, uh, here's the there's a it's like an ugly contest or who, uh, nobody likes him contest. Ron Swami and, and uh, what's his name, Ron De, DeSantos. I mean, just nobody likes him. So it's like, um, but here's the problem, Jim, is that okay, you get Nikki Haley, and she, you know she's a she's a legitimate. I said this in 2016 though, um, the way that Donald Trump dispensed with. With all of the candidates, all of the other 15 candidates, it was so humiliating that I said they'll never be back. They will never be. They've just destroyed their bench, right? right. And they pretty much did. So, um, right. yeah, Nikki Haley might be back. But here's the thing. Um, even if Nikki Haley even were able to pull out the nomination, uh, that's doubtful. But I'll tell you what, the MAGAs won't show up because they'll just say forget it. They'll go back to their home. Right where they were, where they never voted before anyway, and they'll just say, oh, it's all rigged, and there's nothing you can do about it, so I'm going to go back to um, eating my fried bologna sandwiches with uh, American cheese and shooting my gun and smoking my cigarettes and drinking cheap beer in my backyard, right? Right. Anyway, Paul, you have a great weekend. Thanks, Paul. Okay, thanks. Thank you very much, Jim. Yeah. Okay, um, and we have another caller. Uh, Is it Adele? Adele, right? Uh, Let's talk to Adele. Hey Paul. hey, Paul. It's Adele. Hi, Adele. How um, are you? I just, hi. Okay, Paul, I have to tell you. Mm-hmm. I'm listening to Tom Hartman and Joan Esposito, and then I, I hear this caller, and his name is Paul. And I'm like, who is this guy? And then I hear him again, and then I hear him call in again. I'm like, who is this guy, Paul, from Seattle area, who knows something about everything? And can explain it beautifully, and then here you are with your own radio show. Yeah, I'm I am here, yeah. so pleased. I am uh, I so think, pleased. And, yeah, and your mom. You I want to know yeah. who, where'd you get your brain from? Your mom and/or your dad? Uh, it was a. Uh, I, I don't know how to. I, it was it was a joint effort somehow. <laughs> they, 
okay. Um, my, okay. My, well, let, me, let me put it this way. My mom is a retired nurse practitioner, so she was in the medical field. She started out in her basic nurses training in 1947, and she was working up until the time she was 82. She just uh, she was actually teaching nursing at a college in Michigan up until it got to the point where the, the reason she retired was because um, she had to be on early hospital rounds with her nurse, with her students, and it was in the morning, uh, in the wintertime, it was too dark for her, and her eyes were getting um, bad, so she, driving, so she just thought, I can't get there that early, and so she she retired when, at the age of 82, uh, and she's still, she's 94, she's still ticking, and uh, my oh. dad was a, my dad was a school, uh, he was a school music teacher, he taught high school band, um, and, but he all also was a professional jazz trombone player, one of the best known in Detroit, probably the best known jazz trombone player in Detroit. And uh, so uh, that's uh, where, I, where I get my brains. Uh, I don't know. I, I, it's uh, a little bit of, I'm a teacher, too. So, you know, one of the things I have to say about learning to explain things simply is that, as you may or may not know, I lost my eyesight and... I was never able to see in school since I was, uh, really, since I was in kindergarten. Although, because of my eye disease, it's not very obvious. They didn't really know that I couldn't see. They just thought I was a screwball and I wouldn't do my work. And because I could do things, you know, I had general vision, but I didn't have any vision that I could read things. And, and I just, so I became a class clown. Whenever you can't do it, you become a clown and a distraction. So I, and then I, and then I kind of got into, Music, I just, you know, when I was in high school, like, man, I was a rock and roll musician and I don't have time for uh, this, you know, this is crap, you know, the school is just BS, man. I'm a musician, man. And so, um, uh, you know, so, but what, what it came down to is, you know, I was on the road of hard knocks with the music business for a few years and realized, you know, maybe an education is uh, worth a try at college. And but, but what I've discovered is that, I had to learn to explain things to myself in a way that, so when I listened to teachers and professors talk, I really had to, you know, uh, I had to make sense of it. So I had to find a way to explain it simply to myself. Uh, and so whenever I think about it, and of course, when I, in my teaching career, what I noticed was um, it's not the kids are not, it's not that they're not listening. They're listening to, they're doting on every syllable that the teacher's saying. It's that, the teachers are saying it in ways that are not clear to them. You have to, you have to under, you have to explain things in a way that a, a you know a high school kid is what they're thinking is it, what are they what are they wondering and what's confusing to them you know what is it that they could get right so you have to be very careful about what your language what kind of words you use you see what I mean so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go ahead. Just, I just so well. Thank you. I feel very honored that you just shared that. I read your bio, so it all makes kind of sense. Like the Renaissance, the whole Renaissance man part. I did not know about your eyesight. I'm so sorry, and it makes so much sense what you're sharing. Uh, one more question: What's your yes. father's name? Uh, my father's name was uh, Gerald or Jerry, Jer- Gerald Wayne uh, Jerry. He was known as Jerry, and my mom's name is Evelyn. Joan, but she goes by Joan. So if I look up Jerry Lane, will I find out jazz, trombonist? No, no, Detroit, Jerry. Detroit? No, it would be Jerry 
Jerry Richardson. I don't know uh, if you look okay. on the internet. Okay. Um, Jerry Richardson, uh, J-E-R-R-I. Jerry Richardson, he passed away in, 20, in November of 2021. He passed away of COVID. Uh, it's very sad because my dad, he was 93 at the time. He was the healthiest guy. There was not a damn thing wrong with him. Uh, but he he kind of didn't take the vaccine thing seriously. And uh, I didn't argue with him. I, I just thought, well, you know, maybe his his circle of contacts might be so small that he doesn't have to worry about it. Because all he does is read the paper and play his trombone and he goes for a walk every morning. And I, But what happened was... A family member who was vaccinated, who didn't know that, you know, my stepsister didn't know that uh, that she'd been exposed, came to the house, always because everyone was coming over, exposed my dad. And and then, of course, my dad, being an old-style guy, just thought, oh, I've got a bug, and he tried to fight it out. He didn't get seek treatment for a week, and he was already way too sick. So oh, um, oh. he didn't, he, um, oh, oh. but I think he did make oh. it through, he, he did survive his stay in the ICU, he didn't have breathing problems so much. He was just, but I honestly think that what happened was when he got the virus, he he just decided that he this was not the world he wanted to live in. He, this he didn't want a world where that's what you got to worry about. And he he didn't. He, my dad, for the most part, was kind of a an Eisenhower Republican, kind of like Tom Hartman's dad. He was an Eisenhower Republican. He liked Ronald Reagan, but he did not care for Donald Trump. And he just thought, you know what, this world has become infected. And it's too contentious and argumentative, which my dad was not at all. So that's oh, wow. he, he died. I know he died on November sixteenth, twenty twenty one, and uh, you know we miss him. But uh, uh, it's he was uh, he was playing his horn. By the way, he was playing his horn uh, right up in, until well, obviously, until a few months before he got sick. He was he pla- he practiced his trombone every day for about an hour and a half. Wonderful, uh, wonderful, yeah. wonderful. Oh, thank you for that story. I sure appreciate the call. And oh yeah, and I look for. I had a question, but I've taken up too much time. So I thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's just you and me. We yeah, go ahead. No, we. Okay, just you and I have me one too. more question. Yeah, sure. Okay, thank you. So, Paul. So, thank you so much. I just feel. I just. I just love what you shared. Thank you. Um, about greed and, and corporations jacking the price up. It is rather shocking when I go to the store and then I think, oh, my God, how do the younger people afford this stuff? And, yes, they're, quote, testing the market, but also they're, quote, testing, gee, will they notice that the package is smaller or what's in it is smaller, which we're all noticing. Do we have any recourse as citizens of the United States of America via legislation or any kind of anything. Uh, yeah, well, you know what? Uh, we have more recourse when uh, we put, we give, uh, as I say, if you give a, a president like uh, President Biden or President Obama, we don't give them enough legislative power uh, to do what, you know, to deal with things like this. Yeah, and you're right. It's like your, your 16-ounce box of graham crackers with three bra- packs of graham crackers is is uh, 14 ounce, and I don't. I'm, I was trying to look at them to see: are they thinner or are they not as big as the old ones? Uh, yeah, you they just too. cut you and they charge. That yeah, too. they charge you the same price, and it's you're absolutely right. Um, they are shaving it off every way they can, and um, exactly. Right. So we're we're being actually we're being. This is kind of an example of uh, Gresham's law. It was uh, Gresham was. <clears throat> was the economy uh, the, it was Queen Elizabeth the first economist and Gresham uh, 
what he noticed was his law is that bad money will always replace good money. Uh, for instance, if you put out gold pieces for people to trade, um, your one ounce gold piece is going to start becoming lighter and lighter and lighter as it becomes circulated. Why? Because people are going to start shaving off, you know, shaving, filing off some of the dust and keeping it from themselves, right? And so what you do is you replace it with something that's cheap and it represents the value, like so that uh, even if people deface it, and it is illegal to deface money. In fact, if you did that in England, they would probably eviscerate you back in those days. But there was no stop. I mean, people got a gold piece and they got a file. They are, you know, they're they're stopping them. People got their little gold dust, and every time they get a gold piece, they shave a little off. Um, that's why we replace it with with coin that uh, is a little bit harder. But a, a nickel, as as Yogi um, Berra once said, you know, a nickel ain't worth a dime anymore. So, um, and that's. <laughs> That's kind of why. So, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, that's why we have currency. But that's what the corporations are doing, like with the packaging. They're making, they're shaving off a little gold dust out of it every, you know, every time you turn around. It's a, it's a smaller package. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, is there yeah. any uh, foundation of anything that we could create some legislation? I mean, how, it's like, oh well, it's the market driven. <laughs> You know, is there any kind of legislation that we could say, hey, you got to stop doing this to us? Well, um, the, there, it's a, that's a really compl- comprehensive question, and it, the answer is uh, in a free – yes, 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 is, yes, yes. There is no such thing as a, a free market without regulations. All markets have regulations, and th- what, what the, the big business and the Republicans want is they want a market that regulates uh, – um, what, things in favor of them, right? And here's one of the things yeah. that uh, yeah. th- that uh, people don't realize is, uh, well, we're, we're running to the end here, so we'll have to pick it up next time. Uh, so I'll have to say I'll have to say good night, and I'll thank everybody for joining us this week on Kitchen Table Progressive. Thank you so.